0: Rob Cartledge here of robcartlidgeministries.com In 1 Peter 3:15, we are told to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Scripture exhorts us to be fluent in apologetics. In this world of postmodernism, our faith is being questioned more than ever before. In response, God has raised the standard and has given us more evidence for our faith than ever before. Apologetics 101. Turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter 3.15. I'm sure most of you know the the scripture. 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. I like that. That's a nice little beginning to this apologetic uh, scripture, which is set in your hearts. You've got to firstly set apart Christ as Lord. So there's got to be a part of your heart that's set apart for Christ. And it's got to be firm, fixed, permanent. It's like it's got to be, you know, genetically in the material of your heart. Always, he says, always be prepared to give an answer. Always be prepared. Not sometimes be prepared or, you know, when you think about it, be prepared. Be prepared at all times. That means you've got to study your apologetics and always be ready to give an answer. Know how to answer people, so always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So have it articulated, have it on the tip of your tongue, have it permanently ready. Even quiz yourself uh, every day. You know, what happens if someone says this to me? What would I say? So start practicing this stuff. It's sort of like this is, you know, using the sword of the love of God, you know to reach men's hearts, because then he follows it up and says, but do this with gentleness and respect. Now, I like how Peter added that, and I've failed in that area, and I'm sure many of us have failed in that area, and and I know that there's a lot of people um, failing in it all the time, that we people are, are debating with us, and we just get so annoyed that we start saying the wrong things. And sometimes I go over some of my old comments on YouTube, especially on the threads, and I go, oh, man, maybe I shouldn't have said it quite like that. (laughs) That sounds a little bit hard or a bit too much going for the jugular rather than going for the heart. You know what I mean? So just we've got to consider that we, we should know how to answer people, but we've got to be able to have wisdom enough to not get offended by those that get really angry at us for believing that way but try to continually lead them. And if anything, at the end of it, say, look, I think this debate is not going to go much better from here on. It's not going to serve you well or me well, so let's just leave it because, you know, obviously because the language of the person that's talking to you is getting too irate, so you may as well just back down. So we've got to be careful with that area, and I'm the first one to put my hand up so say, I've got to be careful in that area, especially because I get bombarded with so much of that stuff. Sometimes in... You know, I sit down at the computer. I'm not in the right state of mind. And then I, I might say something a bit rash too quickly. But if I would read it again, gave myself a bit more time, read it again half an hour later, maybe I'd go, oh, maybe I'll rephrase that, you know. So that, anyway, that's uh, 1 Peter 3.15. And that's where apologetics is coming from. from. We must practice and know our apologetics. It must be on the tip of our tongue at all times. Always be prepared to give an answer. I think everyone here agrees with that because we're strong in this area. So it seems that there are two great war fronts, two great war fronts uh, to the Christian faith at this time in history. What it seems like is we've got on one side a massive, massive, massive multitude coming against us and on another side we've got a multitude, not as big as this side, but it's still a big multitude coming as well. And here we have a, a flock of God's people in the middle and they're coming in and they're coming in hard and heavy and it's increasing by the day and they're advancing uh, you know, very, very powerfully against us and the flock of God is diminishing and a lot of them are fleeing and going to the, the sides of these marching, advancing armies. And this is a concern for the church. And I think there's a lot of people in the centre of that that have no idea it's even going on. They have no idea that there's this war that is taking place spiritually in the world today and it's being voiced publicly. And a lot of people in the church have put on the blinkers. They don't see it. They don't know about it. And if you start talking about this stuff to them, they just go, look, I just just believe. I don't want to know all that stuff. But they don't realise that ultimately this could be the end of their faith, not the end of Christianity, the end of their faith, if they don't learn how to confront this coming onslaught. The first front, and this is the multitude upon multitudes, right? The first front is a rise in cults and religions which are in opposition to Jesus Christ and who oppose his deity. There's a lot of them. Islam, Hinduism, uh, Christian Delphians, Jehovah Witnesses uh, and and more and more, Baha'i, all those sort of things. They're all coming up and they're rising rapidly. Islam is the fastest growing religion on earth at the moment. As Ravi Zacharias would say, the fastest growing force religion on earth at the moment. And they're coming very, very ardently against the Christian faith and many Christians are falling to their deceptive beliefs. And not only that, in the church, supposedly, like emergent churches and things like that, they're teaching deceptive doctrine that is also deceiving masses of Christians. And they're falling, they're fleeing to the other side. They don't even realise it. I've Just this week, I've had a debate with a, a few guys about the deity of Christ. they they're, 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 staunch in this. They don't want to believe that Jesus is God and they call themselves Christians. And I said, well, why? Why would you bother being a Christian? If Jesus isn't God, then I may as well be a Buddhist. I may as well be a, a Hindu or something because he's he's no better than any of their gods. Anyway, the second front is the rise of neo-atheism, which means just basically a new atheism. It's a militant atheism and it's militant claims that God does not exist and they're using science as evidence for that claim, and that's what I want to go over, go over today. And I'm going to be using uh, some some of the points You'll, the points that I use from this book. I meant use uh, I quote John Lennox because the book's called God's Undertakers. Has science buried God? Now, if you're a Christian, you need to read this book, at least the first four or five chapters. You need to know what is getting spoken from this war front, this neo-atheism war front. And it's, it's a very powerful front because the governments and the education systems and, and, and uh, so many other, uh, you know, the music industry, the whole, you know, they're all believing this stuff and that's, that's their belief system. So it's basically the, the propaganda that is pushed upon us continuously comes from that mindset. And that's a heavy war front. There's obviously not as many people in that group as there are in the religions and cults and all that stuff, but there's still, those that are in it are very influential. They have a lot of influence in science and and politics, etc. Now, both of these war fronts are shaking the faith of Christianity to the core and are setting up the foundation for the coming great apostasy. That great apostasy is taking place currently. People are falling from the faith and, and are turning against Christ. It's happening continuously. But we're told that when the great apostasy in fullness takes place and the Antichrist is revealed, and after that time, that's when Jesus returns. That's what it clearly says in 2 Thessalonians 2. I don't care what anyone, however they want to twist it, it just says that. (laughs) So this great apostasy is coming, and these two war fronts is what is going to squeeze the faith As they come together and surround the faith of Christianity, they're going to squeeze out all of those who aren't true. Like toothpaste, you know what I mean? And those that don't believe right are going to end up being part of the apostasy, the great falling away. Now, Christians today must have defences for both these positions. And as you know, the Uncovering Religion series... That, that is now online, you can uh, you can go on to, uh, the fullness of that is um, pod, in podcast form on iTunes. If you just search Rob Cartledge, uh, you'll see my podcast come up and then just click on Uncovering Religion, subscribe to them, download the whole lot and uh, start listening, start learning, start learning about Islam, start learning about Hinduism, start learning about Jehovah Witnesses, start learning, now I'm not, like I only did one sermon on each of them, so I'm not fully thorough in them, but if you listen to my sermon on Jehovah's Witnesses, you'll get the idea. And then there's so many websites that you can search out more information from and so many great videos about it. But what they do is they give you a basic insight into each of these cults and religions to get a sense of what they do believe. The essence of all of them, just about, just about, is they oppose the deity of Christ. They claim that Jesus is not God, that he's just a creature. So the Uncovering Religion series is there to equip saints with the knowledge of the cults, the religions, and the deceptive doctrines of the church, because it also goes into the deceptive doctrines that are out there as well, and I've done quite a few sermons in that, in relation to that sort of stuff. And this series, which is the Apologetics 101, so remember that the Uncovering Religion opposes that multitude that's coming against, and this one, the the Apologetics 101 is opposing uh, the knowledge of a combat against atheism and all its claims, And that's a real big, heavy one that we have to uh, come against. Now, first question I want to ask is, what is faith? What is faith? According to Richard Dawkins, author of the best-selling anti-religious book called The God Delusion, Dawkins tells us that scientific belief, this is science, is based upon publicly checkable evidence. Whereas religious faith not only lacks evidence, its independence from evidence is its joy. Shouts it from the rooftops. And I just added, and he's, he's spoken elsewhere, and I don't want to get all his extra quotes, but it's basically, he calls it blind faith. Blind. No evidence for it. Now, if it's, if, firstly, i just quickly, just a little side note. You can say that about evolution as well, because it's not publicly checkable. It's a theory that cannot be checked because no one was there as much as no one was there when God created the universe according to our faith, so we can't check it. But he's trying to say that means we are discredited because you can't check our evidence. Well, you can't check his evidence of for evolution either. It cannot be checked. And I'm going to go in that a little bit further as well. But Dawkins also stated that the next time somebody tells you that something is true, why not say to them, what kind of evidence is there for that? And if they can't give you a good answer... I hope you'll think very carefully before you believe a word they say. And I pray that more people would put Richard Dawkins to task with his own Maxim. Or Maxime. He, that he should be put to the task in relation to what he says. He just makes all these, you know, outrageous statements. Let's check him out. Let's check if he is actually stating the truth. Well, if, he, if that's the bestseller of you, you've got delusion. You should do that yourself as a, a, a side book. Well, they've done one called The Dawkins' Delusion. Yeah, they've already... Uh, it's already... Yeah, and there's far more than one yeah, here. There's already about, I think, about 20 books that refute that book. Yeah. All right, so what is faith? John Lennox, he said this, It takes no great research effort to ascertain that no serious biblical scholar or thinker would support Dawkins' definition of faith which he claims is not evidence-based. No, none of us would ever claim that. No true Christian or no Christian scientist or Christian in any field would, would agree with Dawkins' definition. It's too simplistic, not well thought through, and, you know, you, we would, none of us would take that seriously. Funny thing is, is a lot of the atheists do take it seriously. They think Dawkins knows what he's talking about. Francis Collins, and listen to this guy, he's an American physician, he's a uh, geneticist, noted for his discoveries of disease genes and his leadership of the Human Genome Project. He currently serves as the director of the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland. And he said this, Dawkins' definition of faith certainly does not describe the faith of most serious believers in history, nor of most of those in my personal acquaintance. So he's a scientist saying that about Dawkins' definition not all scientists believe the way Dawkins believes, even though he would try to mislead many and and try to claim that they do. And this guy, who's a very high-level scientist, does not agree with Dawkins' definition. He knows that true faith is evidence-based and evidences in many different areas, as I'm going to go into more. Nor does the Bible define faith, by the same meaningless and inept definition with which Dawkins gives to it. As as I've been reading in the last few weeks in, in, in preparing us for this uh, sermon series, Hebrews 11.1, 1, and it says this, Now faith is the assurance. We are assured of our faith. We can trust our faith. It's the confirmation, confirming what we believe of the things we hope for, being the proof of things we do not see, the proof. There's things we don't see, but there's ways of knowing that they're true and and we can prove that they're true. The problem with atheists is they don't want to listen long enough to get the proof, and they don't want to research it genuinely. They want to just refute that there's any possibility of it, and even if you present something to them, they won't read it correctly or understand it correctly, and they'll just refute it again. So, no matter how which way, with some atheists, they're just determined to chop you down and say, No, don't want to hear that. But it's the proof. This is what the definition according to the Bible says it's proof of things we do not see and the conviction of their reality. Faith perceiving itself as, as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. Faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. Okay, so Lennox said mainstream Christianity will insist that faith and evidence are. Inseparable. indeed faith is a response to evidence not a rejoicing in the absence of evidence we don't rejoice in any absence of evidence like uh, Richard Dawkins tries to, tries to deceive and delude atheists into believing that that's how Christianity is that we blindly rejoice in the absence of evidence man I've never rejoiced in any absence of evidence and I don't think many Christians really do even the weaker ones Actually, if they're weak, usually it's because they don't research and find out the truth. They're weak in their Christianity because they haven't gone and dis- discovered or, or, or at least looked into the evidence. So there are many high-level scientists in the world today who will point out that it was evidence that they discovered through science which led them to faith in God and, and not the other way around. Many scientists will tell you that I looked under the microscope and I saw things that could not have possibly happened by chance and I realised it's like something clicked. There must be a higher intelligence. There must be a creator. There must be intelligence behind this because it's too well made to just happen randomly, by chance. And there's also many scientists that will say it's through science that their faith keeps getting stronger. Not the other way around. So we ask the question: Is faith in God like faith in the San- in Santa or the Tooth Fairy? Is is faith like that's what some Richard Dawkins has said? He says, "Oh, you know, it's akin to uh, believing in the Tooth Fairy or or to Santa." You know, I, I hate that that um, statement. A quite pathetic argument pushed on atheist readers is that belief in God is as silly as belief in Santa or the Tooth Fairy. However, we have millions of testimonies the world over of men and women who have turned to the faith of Christianity in older age, myself included. I was 21. I searched for wisdom. I searched for truth. I wanted to know the truth of how everything is. And in that search for truth, I came across God. And from the moment I entertained God in my mind, maybe there's a possibility here because I was an atheist up prior to that. I believed in evolution prior to that. Once I entertained that possibility and I started to look into it deeper, it's not because I wanted it to be true, I wanted truth. I didn't believe this postmodern view that there is no absolute truth. Well, if there's no absolute truth, how can we even take that statement for real? For truth. You know, we can't. He, he can't even make that statement. He can't say there is no absolute truth. Well, how do I know you're telling the truth and saying that statement? Belief in God cannot be compared to belief in Santa Claus or the Tooth Fairy. Reason is because you would be hard-pressed to find a sane person anywhere in the world who had turned to a faith in Santa Claus or the Tooth Fairy at a mature age. You won't find anyone in the world who's turned to Santa Claus at the age of 50. Right? You know, so, see, atheists don't think this stuff through. They make these statements and the 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 other atheists that read their books go, yeah, what a great point. But come on, man, it's not the same. You cannot compare those two things as parallels. They're not parallel. Kids give up faith in Santa Claus at the age of about six or eight or whatever. No one accepts Santa Claus at a mature age and says, yes, Santa Claus, I accept you into my heart. <laughs> From now on, I'm not putting any presents under the tree. You're bringing it. You're bringing it. <laughs> yeah. Peter Atkins. This is the religion of science. And I want you to see this. Peter Atkins wrote this. Science and religion cannot be reconciled. And humanity should begin to appreciate the power of its child and to beat off all attempts at compromise. Religion has failed and its failures should stand exposed. Science, with its currently successful pursuit of universal competence through the identification of the minimal, the supreme delight of the intellect, should be acknowledged king. Has not Peter Atkins in this very paragraph only introduced what he believes to be a better religious system, but he did not call it religion? In just saying that, to claim science king and to place it above religion is to create a religion, a system by which Peter Atkins is clearly worshipping. He's gone and placed science above religion, called it king king. Put the crown on that, and he worships it. He thinks it, because it answers the questions that were once unanswered, that now God doesn't exist because He's worked it out. That's crazy. And I'm gonna say it later. It's like it's like a person coming along and saying, looking at a house, studying the blueprints and working it all out, and they go, I know how that house was built, therefore there's no builder. That's what they're saying. That's what science is saying. Because they worked out how the house is built, that no one built it. (laughs) Come on, man. You worked out how it was built. Shouldn't you then go, wow, what a great builder. You know, that's the real answer. That science should be going, wow, look at this wonderful universe. What a magnificent creator. And you know, there are many scientists that say that. There are many, many scientists that say that, but the outspoken militant atheists are trying to not let us hear those scientists and their opinions and their views. But the truth of the matter is, not all scientists are atheists. Actually, a good percentage are not. And some of the best in the world are not. Science is all question mark. But does science have all the answers? We know that science can explain how things work. And describe processes that are totally awe-inspiring to contemplate. But how does the working out of how something works suddenly exclude the reality of God? And this is what I just said, wasn't it? Does science do away with God, as many atheists have claimed? Just because they work it out. Oh, okay, so you worked out that the earth spins around the sun. Therefore, God didn't put it there. God didn't create gravity because we worked out the laws of gravity. No, we worked out how God made it work. He worked out his equation. And I think that's amazing. God applauded them for that, you know what I mean? Doesn't do away with the fact that, you know, someone had to institute the laws of gravity to make them work. To a scientist, gravity is just an equation. That's all it is, just an equation. But could a scientist possibly create gravity with that equation? No, that equation doesn't make it happen. It's just the process with which it... Obviously, they worked out it does happen by, that equation. But that equation has no power to make gravity actually work, does it? It's, 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 it's absolute nonsense that they can actually say, God, we don't need God anymore because we worked it all out. Oh we'll take God, According to the Bible, God holds the universe together. <laughs> We don't need him anymore. If he says, All right, you don't need me anymore, I'll let go. <laughs> Let's see what happens then. How long would those scientists last if God let go of the universe? They'd just disintegrate like that. Wouldn't they? We all know that. Does science still do weigh with God, as many atheists have claimed? Science explains the how, but not the why or the who. It explains the how, and it's still undecided on many things like things that they were saying how it worked 10 years ago is not how they're saying it works today it's changed they're still trying to figure it out you know one science, scientist will spend his whole life in one area of science and at the end of it still be baffled just shows the awesome complexity of God and his creation and how brilliant God is, and so far more unfathomable. We cannot fathom how awesome God is. is No Christian on earth can fathom how awesome God is. We can try to describe it in the best ways we can, but still we are so far from really truly describing who God really is. A man can work out how a building was built, but that does not mean that there was no builder. I said that before, didn't I? science at war with God, is science really at war with the concept of God as Peter Atkins, Richard Dawkins and the late Christopher Hitchens would have you believe? Is science, and this is a question because atheists will have you believe that science stands in opposition to religion. John Lennox said scientists who are at war with God is not quite the same thing as science itself at war with God. So we have scientists certain people at war with God, but we don't have science itself at war with God. For example, some musicians are militant atheists. Some musicians. But does that mean that music itself is at war with God? No. Music is not at war with God. Sorry? Well, we, we believe God created music. But then Satan's come along and twisted that a little bit as well. The point here may be expressed as follows, and I think Uh, John Lennox really sums it up well. Statements by scientists are not necessarily statements of science. When you read the book, The God Delusion, don't let Dawkins fool you into believing that that's a statement of science. The God Delusion is not a statement of science. It's a statement of personal belief of a scientist, but it's not a statement of science. Statements of faith or non-faith in God are not statements of science but rather statements of personal belief. For if science was an atheist-only profession, then theists could not practice science. But we know that that's clearly not the case, is it? Is evolution science? Or is it a statement of faith and belief? And that's what I want to ask. And you know what? Atheists have got to ask these questions. Is evolution truly science? Just because you read it in a scientific textbook does not mean it's necessarily science. Because as Dawkins himself said, it must be publicly checkable. Publicly checkable. That means you've got to prove it through experimentation. Now, just about every other science can be proved through experimentation. If you do the same experiments, you get the same results, and therefore it's a discovery. Evolution, there's none of that. Evolution is the belief of some scientists, not all. Clearly, the theory of evolution is a belief system that scientists the world over are divided upon. They're divided. Christian scientists and atheist scientists are divided on this issue. They don't all agree. Don't let Dawkins deceive you anymore into believing that science is atheism. It's not. Science is just a, is a way of observing the natural world through different means. It has no belief system in the sense of science, true science, doesn't, you know, you can be an atheist, you can be a, a Christian, you can be a Muslim, you can be a Hindu, you can be anybody to practice science. You know, an atheist, it's just like riding a bike. An atheist can ride a bike, a Christian can ride a bike. Just because an atheist rides a bike doesn't mean the bike is an atheist. <laughs> and I'm amazed that that atheists don't think this through. And you know what? A lot of Christians don't think this through as well. And that's why they don't know how to answer these these inqu- inquiries from atheists. A theistic scientist believes that all matter. And I want you to put this, understand this. A theistic scientist—that's a Christian scientist or a, a person who believes in God—believes uh, that all matter. Time, space, and energy was created by a supernatural intelligent designer who is so far superior to his creation, he's so far superior that full comprehension of him is not possible with our current intellectual capacity. So a Christian scientist will believe that would be their belief system. They're still practicing science, but that's their belief system. So when they look under the microscope, they go, Wow, God, incredible. In, in a Christian's mind, science confirms God, yeah. An atheistic scientist believes that all matter, time, space and energy was not created by any agent whatsoever, but just came into existence by chance for no reason whatsoever. If you can give me a better definition, that's, that's from what I can tell, that's what an atheist believes. No chance, by complete chance. Randomness. Both belief systems require faith. Both of those belief systems require faith to believe them. You've got to believe that everything happened by chance to believe it. You can't just say, oh the non-belief in God makes me believe that. No, you've got to believe that. You've got to believe that everything that is happened by chance. The complexities that we see in nature, and there is massive amounts of complexity, and any scientist will tell you, you've got to believe that it all happened by chance. So both belief systems require faith, but I personally believe that to believe in evolution and a causeless universe requires far more faith than to believe in a designer. You need a lot of faith, atheists, to believe that everything happened by chance because a scientist will tell you how complex everything that they study is. It's just mind-blowing complexity. And if you believe that complexity happened by chance, so is atheism science? Atheists around the world scoff at scientists who believe in intelligent design or who are creationists. They say that intelligent design should not even be considered science. John Lennox said, suppose if we were to ask the parallel questions, is theism science or is atheism science? Most people would give a negative answer because if you ask anyone, is atheism really science then, is it? No. Is theism science? No. Neither is science. Science is a, a way or a system of observing the natural world or the natural universe. But if we were now to say that we are, what we are really interested in is whether there is any scientific evidence for theism or for atheism. And that's what we're really interested in. And truth seekers really want to know that. Is there any evidence out there? Because God said there's evidence in the observable world that proves that he exists. Okay, it's just how you look at it. One person will look at the wonder of the DNA and go, wow, what an intelligent writer of the DNA language. How intelligent is God to create that language? It is mind-blowingly complex. That's just one aspect of science and one aspect of the study of, of what we have in this universe, just the DNA, and anyone will tell you it's a language. It's a written language. Any written language has been written by someone. Chance does not write languages. Right? An atheist scientist will look at it and go, wow, look what a billion years can do. Look how complex this DNA is, and it took billions of years to get that complex. Is that science? Is the first comment science? Is it When we look at it and say, wow, look at what God created, is that science? No, that's not science. Is it, if you're an atheist and you look at it and say, look what, you know, billions of years, is that science? No, it's not science. So probably the biggest hindrance to modern science today is their deep-seated fear to ask and investigate the questions which will lead the world to truth. In my opinion, that's what I believe. They don't ask the big questions. They don't want to go for broke on on questions. And, they, and they're they too scared to ask them because the, the answer might change who they are, change the way they live, make them accountable for their actions. And that's what they don't want to be, ultimately, accountable for their actions. Is there any evidence for design? If there's evidence for design, then we we are accountable to a designer who designed us. That's why Christians, you know, think the way they do, that we have, we've got to stick to our moral code. We can't abandon it because we're accountable to a designer. Atheists, however, aren't accountable to design, designer, so they think, because they don't believe in a designer. And that's really what it boils down to. So is there any evidence for design, or is there any evidence for evolution? Keep in mind the word evolution is dreadfully misleading. You know, in in textbooks, they'll show evolution being uh, a dog mating with another dog and getting another breed of dog, right? That's that's an evolution we all see all the time, right? And then they say, oh, you know, but uh, intelligent designers don't believe in evolution as a whole. No, we believe in that because we can observe that. But there's other aspects of evolution that we don't believe in because we can't observe them. Six types of evolution, and this was from freechristianteaching.org. One is cosmic evolution, the origin of time, space, and matter by the Big Bang. It's never been observed. Keep that in mind. It's never been observed, and it can't be observed unless we can go back in time or get some video footage from that time. We can't observe it. Two, chemical evolution, the origin of higher elements from hydrogen. Again, never been observed. Hydrogen turning into anything but hydrogen. Stellar and planetary evolution, the origin of stars and planets just coming from that big bang and causing planets and all that sort of stuff and, and, you know, life form maybe out there (laughs) apart from this planet. Uh, Again, never been observed. We've never seen that part of evolution. Organic evolution, the origin of life coming from simple amoebas, you know, right through all the the Darwin, uh, you know, tree, right up to the current day. Never been observed. Macro evolution, the changing from one kind of species to another. Again, that's the tree of life. Be a, a lizard turning into a bird or something. Never been observed. It's never been observed. You might get two lizards that might mate and form another lizard, But we've never seen a lizard change into a bird or a bird change into a cat or a banana change into a, you know, flower. We don't see those sort of things, do we? Yeah, but that's it. Atheists see it because it's something they see in their mind. Dawkins sees it because he sees it in his mind. He creates this picture. It's like a a fantasy movie or something in his head. He sees it happening in his head. But we don't see it in the world. Now, microevolution, however, is variation within kinds of species. Variations. You know, if you get a zebra and made it with a, a horse, you get a, it's a or horse. I don't know. Like a <laughs> I don't know. You, you get all that sort of stuff. Now, we're not talking about Nephilim now. <laughs> Humans, hybrids. Like lion. Yeah, I've seen a tiger lion. What do the they call lion? that? Liger. Yeah, you see that sort of variations within species, but they're both in the cat family. Observations about the different types of evolution. This is again from freechristianteaching.org. Of the above supposed six types of evolution, only the last one, which is microevolution, has ever been observed. Uh, The other five types of evolution are part of the theory of evolution. The other five types of evolution are all theoretical and have never been observed. So they're like a fantasy. Uh, fiction type of thing that you can uh, view only in your mind they cannot be reproduced in a laboratory and do not therefore fall under the strict definition of science, because if you can't observe it if you can't publicly check the information it can't be called science however, somehow it slipped through that and can be called science, it gets included in scientific textbooks for children to learn as if it's true so, they are in fact a belief system taught in countless schools and universities around the world. Sadly, they are taught as fact, even though they, the factual content of the theory of evolution cannot be proved or disproved since nobody was present. And these belief systems cannot be reproduced in a laboratory, or these beliefs cannot be re- reproduced in the laboratory. Now, an atheist will straight away say, well, that's the same with. Uh, believing in God who created all that is or an intelligent design. Yes, absolutely, and that's what we're saying. It's a belief system. It's just that I don't have to have as much faith as you to believe in mine because I believe in God that does everything, who created everything, I should say. You believe in chance, which everything just happened by total chance over a long period of time. And they always say, you know, elements in the primordial soup coming together. Well, where did those elements come from? You know, how did they even get a primordial soup in the first place? How did the planet get there? You know, they, they failed to be able to go back far enough. and That's where the Big Bang came in. and Everything compressed in the universe down. Well, what was the everything in the universe that compressed down to that little micro dot and then explode? Where was that? Where did that come from? All that matter that compressed down. It came from somewhere. It had to have an origin. Can't just be there. Had to have an origin. Right when you're talking about created matter. Spiritually, though, God is spirit, not matter, very different thing altogether. Different uh, concept of way it exists. Spirit exists eternally. The spirit of God exists eternally. And people say, how can he exist? It has to have a beginning. Yep, No, matter, created things, must have a beginning. Spirit, this is the wonder of God, and this is what we're going to spend a, a, an eternity looking into, just exists. Right? And that's an amazing thing. We have an amazing, amazing God. But see, they don't. again, uh, most atheists don't want to study theology, so they don't learn those things. And they don't want to look deeper into the things that they're actually into science and really think this through to the, you know, to back to the origins and say, OK, maybe I am believing a lie. Maybe I am believing a fairy tale. Maybe I have to have more faith than a Christian to believe what I believe. So proof of evolution. Scientists are unable to prove that all life evolved from an amoeba out of a primordial suit by chance. They're unable to prove it. I could collectively challenge all the greatest scientific minds on Earth to put all the elements of living creatures into a massive dish and then allow them to use the most advanced technology available on Earth to cause those elements to fuse together and become cells and then those cells to fuse together and become tissue and then for intelligence and ecologically sustainable life forms to crawl up out of the dish. I challenge every scientist in the world that believes that that's the truth, get together, use all the technology available. The elements must... Not be living, there must be a living cell among all your elements. You just got to put them in a dish and then you're going to shoot your lasers, you're going to shoot electrical currents in there, do whatever you want, stir it as much as you want. <laughs> right? And even with all of man's vast intelligence and technology today, they will, without even attempting it, they will know that they could not bring living creatures out of those elements. They know, they'll just say, Come on, that's ridiculous. Yes, exactly. That's the point. You know you can't bring living life forms that are going to reproduce and having a male and a female and that by them coming together, they're going to have more offspring and they're going to get ecologically sustainable among plants that they can eat that's going to give them the vital life source to keep on living. And all of that stuff all happened to just pop up at once because it had to for it to be sustainable. Because how can life be sustained if they haven't got a plant to eat? So the plant had to arise at the same time as the animal and and the animal had to arise with a partner. And then there had to be a whole range of other elements as well. Drinking water and a whole range of things. That all had to happen. And we know that an ecology doesn't just require one animal, one plant, a little bit of drinking water. An ecology requires an animal kingdom to be self-sustaining and a plant kingdom to be self-sustaining. They all require each other at once, not... You know what I mean? It has to be there at one moment, or else they won't survive. They'll die. Yet then in the next breath, they'll say to you this, they'll say this, Oh, yeah, but if you leave these elements in the soup for billions of years, chance will cause creatures to crawl out of that soup. Come on. Maybe make a really good movie, you know, science fiction, some fictional, you know, fantasy movie. Maybe a cartoon would really be good for this sort of a theory. But it's not the truth. No way is that the truth. However, they know full well that from all their scientific observations that the universe is in a state of atrophy. With time, life dies. It does not live. With time, life dies, doesn't it? Human gets to about 80, 90 years old, or if you're an a 120, then you die. <laughs> Single cells left to themselves do not self-support. They die. You separate a cell from its tissue and everything else and you just put it in a tissue, die in no time at all. It requires the system of the existence that it's in. The creation that it's in requires it to live and then it, it, you know what I mean, and then even then cells die within that but they regenerate by dividing. Even if all those scientists using all their vast intelligence managed to create a living cell from all those elements, it would soon die and the very fact that they used their intelligence to create the living organism would only prove the viewpoints of scientific intelligent design. Because we allowed them to use all their science to create life, even if they managed to create life, it's only proving design anyway. It's only proving intelligence behind it all, isn't it? Because if you just do it the way they say, is just stick it all in a dish and leave it for a billion years. They say that because they know that we won't hang around a billion years waiting to see the outcome. You know, you might have some, you know, green bacteria around the edges of the dish by that time, pretty thick. You won't be able to see the murky, murky. Actually, the water would just evaporate, be gone. (laughs) The water just evaporate, and the primordial soup would dry up, the bone dry. Come on, man, we've got to think these things through in reality. Come on, reality. You know, if you leave a dam and you don't refill it, and there's no rain, and it's just sitting there, the dam will dry up, and the tadpoles will die. You know, maybe the frog to escape to another dam somewhere, pond, lily pad. If the universe was designed, why study science? If the this is one of the things they say. If the universe was, if the universe was designed, if it was created as the Christians believe, why study science? And they call that the God of the gaps. Whatever we don't understand, God did it. That's another cop-out, that statement, man. It's a real cop-out. Listen, some atheists will argue that very point. If If the universe was designed by creator God, why study science? Whether the world was designed or evolved by chance is not going to change the natural inquiries of man. Whether God created it or whether chance created it does not change our inquiry, the heart of our inquiry. We want to know. Right? in my opinion, God made humans inquirers. He made humans to want to know stuff. You know, or else why would we, you know, want to know anything? We all want to know, because we, we we've been created in the image of God, and God is a God that knows a lot of stuff. And when created in his image, we want to know a lot of stuff too. So whether the world was designed or evolved by chance is not going to change the national inquiries of man. I believe God created the universe to be explored, to be studied and to be investigated, and apparently so did many founding fathers of science. You know, science came about by Christians, and even uh, some Muslims were in, into science, and, but science has come about, most of those that founded science were, had a faith in God. But that didn't inhibit their desire to study science. It made them all the more curious, like going, okay, what could God have possibly done to make this happen? You know, and then they looked into it and it's like, wow, did God do that? Wow, what a God. Let's look, Let's look deeper. Let's look deeper. Let's look deeper. It's a motivation to study. It doesn't take away the desire to study. John Lennox said, Galileo, Newton, and most of the scientific figures who contributed to the meteoric rise of science did not find belief in a creator God inhibiting in this way. Far from it, they found it positively stimulating. Indeed, for many of them, it was their prime motivation for scientific investigation. It so happens that Richard Dawkins studied at Oxford University, which is in England, and guess what the motto was of that university? The Lord is my light. The Lord is my light. You'll find the mottos of some of the old, old universities and colleges around the world is all Christian-based. They're all founded by Christians who wanted to inquire deeper of God's wonderful universe. It is naturalism. Demanded by science are scientists required to be naturalists, and that 's the view that nature is all that there is, and that there is no transcendence, meaning no God or no ultimate creator over it all, that nature is all there there is, or is it just conceivable, as John Lennox said, that naturalism is a philosophy that is brought to science more than something that is entailed by science science required by science, Could it even be more? Uh, a, like an expression of faith akin to religious faith. And naturalism, when you really look into it, is a religion. It's a religion that's brought to science, but not to science as a whole, to atheists that want to deny God's existence. Because when, when it comes down to it, really every single person on earth has to have a faith in something whether it's faith in God or it's faith in nature or faith in fairies or faith in whatever they've got faith in, they have to believe in something. Because the moment you start uh, telling them your faith, they'll disagree. And why do they disagree? Because they have their own belief system that is in conflict with what you believe. And then they'll say, yeah, but I'm an atheist. That means I don't believe in anything. Well, then why are you bothering arguing with me then? It's because you don't believe what I believe. You believe something else. You believe that there is no God. That's your belief system. I don't care what they say. They keep trying to twist it back, but that's what they believe. There is no God. You do. You can't say you don't believe that there is no God. That would be... That's why a lot of them go, oh, I'm an agnostic then. But an atheist believes there is no God. So they have a belief. Hmm. And they substantiate that by saying they believe in naturalism and things like that. Or they say, I believe in science, and that proves there is no God. No, science doesn't prove there is no God. Can you see the importance of this, what I'm talking about today? I think it's important. Sir John Horton, he's part of the CBE, which is the Order of the British Empire, the FLSW, which is the Learned Society of Wales, and the FRS, which is the Fellows of the Royal Society, and he's a Welsh scientist who was the co-chair of the Nobel Peace Prize-winning Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, Scientific Assessment Working Group. He was the lead editor of the first three IPCC reports. He was professor in atmospheric physics at the University of Oxford, former chief executive of the Met Office and founder of the Hadley Centre. So he's done a few things, right? He's pretty high up there as a, as a scientist. He said this, our science is God's science. He holds the responsibility for the whole scientific story. The remarkable order, consistency, reliability and fascinating complexity found in scientific description of the universe are reflections of that order. Consistency, reliability and complexity of God's activity. He sees it. He sees that this could not be chance. He doesn't agree with Richard Dawkins, and he's a high-level scientist, uh, honoured scientist. He's a Sir John Horton. Sir Gillian Prance, member of FI Bio, which is the Institute of Biology. We know FRS, FLS is the Linnean Society of London, and we also just looked at the FRS, is a prominent British botanist and ecologist who has published extensively on taxonomy of families such as... Here we go. Uh, Chrysobalanacre and Lysithidacia. But he perhaps drew more attention in documenting the pollination ecology of Victoria Amazonica. Hard words. He said this For many years I have believed that God is the great designer behind all nature. All my studies in science since then have confirmed my faith. I regard the Bible as my principal source of authority. See what he said? All my studies in science have confirmed his faith, not made him lose faith. You know, Michael Behe will say the same thing. All his studies in looking at molecular machines have proved to him that God exists, not the other way around. And he's a prominent scientist. He's not an atheist. Two more pages left, guys. John Lennox, this is a scientific conundrum. John Lennox said, On the one hand, naturalist thinkers, usually are atheists, tells us that science has eliminated God. And on the other hand, theists, which is Christians and and, uh, those that believe in God, tell us that science confirms their, their faith in God, that they get their faith confirmed through science. So both positions are held by highly competent scientists. And what does this mean? Well, it certainly means that it is far too simplistic to assume that science and faith in God are inimical, which means tending to obstruct or harm one another. And it suggests that it could be worth exploring what exactly the relationships between science and atheism and between science and theism are. In particular, which, if any of these two diametrically opposing worldviews of theism and atheism does science support? Right? It's worth looking into that. That's what he's saying. And he doesn't believe that inquiry has been done adequately or fairly. So to do this, John Lennox, because that's what he does in this book, in this book, uh, God's Undertakers, he starts to look at that. And I'm, I'm going to sort of follow through a little bit with that book over the next, because I like the, the guiding, uh, the, the, the motive or the line of reasoning that he uses. So to do this, John Lennox first takes a look at the history of science Go back and look. let's look at the origins. You've got to look at the origins of stuff. You know where they come from, you know where it's going. You know what I mean? If you don't know where they come from, you've got no chance of knowing where it's going. And then you can see who's really are, who are the antagonistics to the future of science. Who are the ones that are going to inhibit the growth of science? And who are the ones that are going to open up and help science to flourish as it should be? Because science is truly something that God has given us. It's a delight. So I hope to look through that history with you in the next apologetic sermon. So in conclusion, Anthony Flew, who was the face of neo-atheism before Richard Dawkins, he was the man that everyone talked about before Dawkins. After a life of atheism and science, he turned from atheism in the latter part of his life when he announced in a BBC interview that superintelligence is the only good explanation of the origin of life and of the complexity of nature. When he turned to... Belief in God, it's like Richard Dawkins turning to belief in God. It shocked and rattled the atheistic community. It blew their mind. And he died. We don't know if he turned to Jesus, but we know he turned to God and belief in, in a creator God, which is astounding because he said there's too much evidence to the contrary. Too much to stay the way he was, you know, in, in the mindset that he had. He couldn't be that staunch in it anymore. He lost faith in that belief system. You can see Anthony Flew debate William Lane Craig. If you look that up on YouTube and you see Anthony Flew absolutely flounder with with William Lane Craig's arguments and his rebuttals were just like he's literally going uh, 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 uh. he cannot get the words out of his mouth. Because you can see as William Lane Craig just hammered him with logic and reason. You can see uh, Anthony flew listening to him going, Wow, I believe that. And then he gets told, Your rebuttal, Anthony. And Anthony's got to get up and re- rebut what uh, Richard Doug- <laughs> what William Lane Craig says. He's got to get up and come against William Lane Craig. And he doesn't believe anymore. He's, he's more convinced from what William's been saying than what his own belief system holds. And you see him literally flounder. We've watched it, didn't we, John? I think we watched it together. I know, I think I did with you, Vic. Anyway, it's um, really worthwhile watching the fall of a great atheist into the hands of God. It's a lovely thing to see, so watch that. True scientists would never condemn a subject before they adequately investigate it. A true scientist, this is my points for conclusion, they would never condemn a subject before they adequately investigate it. However, for some reason today, modern scientists take a very narrow-minded and even ignorant approach of rejecting the possibility of God without properly considering any of the evidences. They reject God without considering properly. Scientifically, I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the average Joe that gets on and, and uh, debates me on, on YouTube and doesn't really know what he's talking about. I'm talking about scientists who stand staunch in their view. They don't adequately investigate belief in God. I've found that the biggest problem with atheists is the absolute rejection of the notion of God. And many times with an intense hatred and bitterness towards the concept altogether. And this, I believe, is a spiritual problem and not a scientific problem. And that's my conclusion, that they hate the notion of God. They hate what they have been brought up to believe God stands for. And we know that there's a lot of deceptive religions. That's what that whole other war front is, giving them a deceptive view of God because they don't get the true picture. Even those that preach the Bible aren't preaching the true picture of what God is. They're preaching a false God. It it is a real issue today. It's a spiritual problem, not scientific. And that's why I wanted to do the sermon so that we can just uh, shut down these atheists that say, okay, science proves God doesn't exist. It's done nothing of the sort. All right, so let's pray, shall we? All right. Thank you, Lord. And, Lord, we just thank you for uh, what you've uh, given us today, and I hope that this message has come through loud and clear. And I pray your blessing, your peace, uh, your um, uh, understanding to come upon us so that we can really start to fathom just what's being taught here and so that we can grow stronger as Christians and have an adequate defence uh, and uh, give an answer to everyone who asks us uh, for a reason for the hope that we have and that we can give it adequately. And also when these uh, different arguments which I brought up today are presented to us, we would be able to just refute it very quickly with a logic that cannot be denied. So we pray this in your wonderful name and we pray that you'll just... Uh, Bless all the future sermons in this Apologetics 101 sermon series and also uh, in the um, uh, Christ in the Old Testament sermon series that we've been doing. And we just pray a blessing also over this Christmas season. I pray that you're with us, uh, protecting us, watching over us. And all those on the Internet are watching. I just pray your blessing over them and that you would uh, just guide them through this time uh, safely in the name of Jesus. Amen. listening to this sermon. If you search Rob Cartledge in the iTunes store or go to www.robcartledge.com you'll see a number of different sermon series. Uncovering Religion, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, Apologetics 101, Critical Doctrine and End Times. Feel free to check them out.